You're listening to Asia Centric from Bloomberg Intelligence, the podcast that pulls back the curtain on global business so you can invest better across the Pacific Rim. I'm Tom Corbett in Hong Kong. And I'm John Lee. Hong Kong's so called brain drain is turning back into a brain game as thousands of knowledge workers return to the city after fleeing COVID. But who's coming back and from where could have a big impact on the city's economy, its culture, and its future? Hong Kong's changing workforce is driven largely by 20 and 30 somethings flocking over the border from mainland China and the reasons why they choose Hong Kong might surprise you. What's driving the change and how might Hong Kong's job market look in 2030 and beyond? For this, let's bring in three experts. Mark Tibbetts, Managing Director at Page Group in Hong Kong. Francis Chan, Senior Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. And Peter Lau, Associate Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Mark, what strikes you most about the job market's most notable changes? Um, I think it, there was a pretty seismic movement of people through the last few years. A lot of people left Hong Kong for various reasons. And as you guys just rightly pointed out, there's a flow of talent coming back into the city. And the demographic has certainly changed. So I think the most notable shift for me, certainly as an expatriate in Hong Kong, was a large volume of pretty seasoned, pretty senior overseas workers, business leaders, experts, etc., moved out during the COVID period. And many of those moved out permanently. And so that set the stage for some big changes, or at least a, a reset, if you will, for Hong Kong's job market. Was it just the obvious factors? Was it COVID or were there other contributing factors? Um, I think uh, the overall sort of economic political environment faced some changes through that same period. So I certainly think that there was um, a proportion of movement driven by that, certainly amongst the more local community. But I do think the expatriate community were really pushed out by COVID policies, not a huge amount more, maybe some economic draw, but largely COVID policies from an international standpoint. And Mark, some of these you know workers are coming back to Hong Kong. Are they the expats or are they more sort of like mainlanders coming to Hong Kong for the first time? Obviously, there's definitely an influx of people from mainland China. Um, The top talent visa schemes have appealed to people in mainland China in large numbers. And we're certainly seeing that from the other side of the border. Um, Professionals that we see in China who are applying for the various schemes. So there absolutely is that. But there is also a flow back of talent from other markets within the Asia-Pacific region. And also we're starting to see more now from further afield. Mark Tibbetts, in every great human migration, there's a component of running from something and then running to something. Uh, The writer Paul Theroux likes to say that travel is equal parts flight and pursuit. How do you see that dynamic as it applies to what's happening with mainland China and Hong Kong right now? I think primarily they're running to Hong Kong for the advanced economy, the opportunities, the education, maybe the healthcare system, access to international markets. I think largely they're following the carrot, so to speak. Mark, there's been a lot of discussion of how Hong Kong is becoming much more integrated with China. Some have called it the mainlandization of Hong Kong. When you recruit people for Hong Kong, is Mandarin as a language becoming much more important? 
I think Mandarin as a language is certainly more important in Hong Kong now than it ever was. I think that's actually been a process that was happening long before COVID. Certainly uh, within the education system, we saw Mandarin becoming a much more dominant language. Um, obviously, it stands to reason that if more people are coming into Hong Kong from mainland China, then Mandarin is going to be spoken and heard a lot more. I think we'd all agree that uh, that you do at the moment in Hong Kong, for sure. Francis Chan, senior analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence, you recently published a piece of research that was quite widely read uh, on the Bloomberg terminal about this very subject. Talk a little bit about what your key findings were and the conclusions that you drew from that. Well, I think the first findings from our research is mainlandization, as uh, we discussed earlier. And more and more mainland talents are coming to Hong Kong for different reasons, hopefully for pool factors of the city. And that's very evident in the government statistics, the visa information. Um, 94, 95% of the latest uh, top pass talent program released in December 2022 applied by the mainland talents. And 22,000 of them have been approved in terms of applications. And if we uh, look for other channels of visa application to Hong Kong, they are also predominantly occupied by talents from mainland China. And about only 8,000 of other talents have been getting visas from Hong Kong, but that will really spread across uh, different Western countries or Southeast Asian countries. I would say 70-80% of the visa application will be coming from the North. And Francis Chan, let's talk a little bit about the demographics of those people from the North, from mainland China, sure. coming into Hong Kong. Who are they? What's the age range, their background? Who is it in mainland China, broadly speaking, that has found attraction to Hong Kong? Well, uh, they could be uh, ranging from the age of uh, 20 to 40, mostly. So mostly younger adults, early career professionals? Or, or mid-age uh, professionals. And if uh, you take a look of the professions of visa applicants coming to Hong Kong, you find that finance is uh, one of the biggest industry attracting talents from the north, followed by maybe academic education industry. Mm, yep. They may be coming to Hong Kong as professors or do R&D in Hong Kong, uh, working in different educational institutions. And two other segments, which is not as prominent, but they are also significant. It will be commerce and trade and information technology. Of course, uh, if we talk about the biggest pool of talents, it will be for finance and academics. I've noticed Mark Tibbetts from Page Group sitting here quietly as you were talking, Francis, nodding his head. Mark, go ahead and weigh in. Yeah, I think absolutely right. The largest group of um, migrants we're seeing is that executive workforce, that maybe the junior aspirational executive uh, people with young families and big financial commitments. And, and again, I, I do think that speaks to the economic pull of the city. I largely agree with the intelligence that Francis just mentioned. Mark and Francis, you know, Hong Kong invariably always gets compared to Singapore. Yep. If both cities vie for being Asia's financial capital, mm -hmm. um, what's happening with this race? Like, Mark, from your point of view, is Singapore gaining the upper hand or you think it's still too early? Well, I just personally think that Hong Kong and Singapore are two different places and have two different roles in the sort of economic food chain of the region. Mm. I just don't think that Singapore can supplant Hong Kong in its location and its uh, strategic importance for greater China. And Hong Kong needs to really focus on that as its sort of primary 
role, primary objective as a conduit for money, for goods, trade, for people, talent, etc., into China and out of China. And uh, if we focus on our strengths in Hong Kong, then I personally think Hong Kong stands alone for all of its sort of assets and attributes in that regard. I think Singapore's equally in a really strategic location for a lot more economies. And uh, largely speaking, I think that's going to drive Singapore's longer term success. And Uh, Francis Chan, some cynics have written off Hong Kong uh, already, but are they too quick to have written its epitaph, so to speak, dovetailing off of Mark's comments? I think uh, for Hong Kong's future or Hong Kong's prospects, it relies most heavily on China's prospects from this point onwards, both as a financial center or a business hub in the Asia-Pacific area. Um, If you talk about its status as the financial hub, solely focusing on corporate financing functions, Hong Kong, as of now, is still far ahead of Singapore. Not because uh, we are doing better, but we are the offshore financial hub of mm. mainland China or the PLC. Francis, like sitting in Hong Kong, you, you do get this warped sense that you know finance is the center of the universe. Yeah. But there's actually other industries that are actually more important than finance technology for a start. When I go to Singapore, I notice that a lot of the technology companies, I'm talking Apple, Google, Alphabet are located in Singapore. Is it arguable that maybe technology and you know other MNCs find Singapore more attractive? Well, um, I think you're spot on. In fact, Singapore has a more diversified economy in terms of GDP contribution. Manufacturing, including technology, in fact, is the leading GDP contributor in 2022, uh, followed by wholesale trade, including commodities trading, then finance and insurance in Singapore. That's government statistics. Talk about Hong Kong. Finance and insurance is the top GDP contributor with about 22% of GDP contribution last year, followed by public sectors, also 21%, mm. i.e. government spending. Then you have maybe property or import and export as a support to the manufacturing centers in southern China. Mark, did you want to weigh in on that? That's pretty consistent with my own personal view. And, and actually, if you look at our business at Page Group, a similar proportion, actually more, comes from financial services in the region of 30% um, mm. banking and insurance. Um, it's just such a dominant space for us here. And I think, again, it's a strength mm. that Hong Kong has that won't easily just uh, drift off over a course of a couple of years. Yep. Mark, during your career in this part of the world in Asia, you spent lots of time in mainland China. You've watched Shenzhen grow from a small town into a, a major tech hub. Do you see that tech component making its way any more into Hong Kong, or do you think Shenzhen is going to remain the epicenter of China tech? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I was actually there for a large chunk of that change, having really started moving our southern China business into Shenzhen in 2009 and operating there right up until um, COVID kicked off. I saw a lot of those changes and the evolution of that technology industry in, in the Shenzhen economy. And I certainly think that the policy, um, and if you look at the sort of the central government policy with regards to the Greater Bay Area and Hong Kong's role within that, it does seem to suggest that Hong Kong's got a bigger role to play. But, you know, Shenzhen is vast and Hong Kong's got limitations in terms of land and workforce as it is. So to get businesses of the scale that you've got in Shenzhen, like the Huawei's, the ZTEs, the DJIs and Tencent's and so on, who have so many thousands of people working for them, um, 
I don't think it's a competition. I think it's a collaboration that's probably going to see Hong Kong's role grow. Francis Chan, you just heard Mark Tibbetts mention the Greater Bay Area. You have also written about the Greater Bay Area at considerable length. Talk a little bit about what lies ahead in China's vision for the Greater Bay Area, Hong Kong, Zhuhai, Macau, Guangzhou, and what that's going to look like five or 10 years from now. Any thoughts? First of all, uh, Beijing is taking the Greater Bay Area as the locomotive for its economy. And this agenda has been set for about 10 years. And uh, this area, you will expect uh, a population of 86 million with 11 cities, as we have by the four major cities, the two offshore cities, Hong Kong, Macau, together with Guangdong province capital, Guangzhou, and the special administrative region of Shenzhen. So this could be a powerhouse uh, comparing to the Tokyo Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, and finally New York's metropolitan area. And we are expecting this to contribute to uh, more than one-tenth of uh, China's GDP. At the same time, it contains a lot of fast-growing industries, including technology, as you said earlier, commerce and finance in Hong Kong, entertainment in Macau, conferencing in Hong Kong and Macau, and uh, with some backup uh, manufacturing facilities in other smaller Greater Bay Area cities. So we are very optimistic on the future of this area. And you mentioned 86 million, million people. That's a quarter of the U.S. population in this corner of Guangdong province, or what borders Guangdong province, if you're talking about Hong Kong, yep. in terms of GDP or per capita GDP. Is it not the wealthiest province in China already? Well, if you talk about the mainland Chinese cities, we still have Beijing, Shanghai. Talking about the provincial level, we have Zhejiang and Jiangsu. Those are all very rich regional localities with very high income per capita. But obviously, Guangdong is among those uh, high income provinces or administrative regions. Hong Kong and Macau themselves are considered as offshore uh, special administrative regions. And obviously, they have a higher income than China's average as a whole. So if you put Hong Kong, Macau together with the rest of the mainland cities in the Greater Bay Area, yes, we will see it as the highest income group within the mainland China. And Francis, uh, which yeah. companies benefit from the growth of the Greater Bay Area? Well, first of all, we want to go for the robust finance sectors. And we identify two groups of financial firms to gain most from the flows of the cumulative wealth in the region. Foreign banks with quick presence in the region, including HSBC, Standard Chartered, and some of the Hong Kong domicile banks like Bank of East Asia, those could be gaining a lot from those cross-border flows. Of course, we have the biggest banks in the country, ICBC, Bank of China, and China Construction Bank. They have presence both in the mainland cities in the Greater Bay Area and also in Hong Kong, Macau. And they will also gain a lot from these uh, flows as uh, Hong Kong and Macau get more integrated into the Greater Bay Area. Francis Chan, Mark Tibbetts, what do you see as far as the breakdown of nationalities where the expats come from? Do you see mainland China being the primary source of expats to Hong Kong? Or do you see any of the non-China nations of generating an inflow in the future? I think that inflow from mainland China will absolutely be the dominant inflow of talent in the next couple of years mm. and beyond that, primarily because Mandarin as a language is going to be so important in the business ecosystem of Hong Kong. 
I definitely think that Hong Kong will have uh, plenty of international elements to its market. But uh, the talent coming in from, let's say, Europe or the US or South America, you know, I, I think these will be at the more senior end, um, perhaps with the exception of the education um, mm. need. And I think somebody spoke mm. earlier about academic. I've certainly heard recently that there has been a lot of influx of teachers from further afield. Do you see Mandarin as being the primary, quote, language of business in China and Hong Kong, much as English is the language of business in much of the rest of the world? Certainly, increasingly so. I think anybody that uh, is in Hong Kong in a customer-facing role is largely required to be able to speak Mandarin mm. and Cantonese. Mm. Absolutely. I think the exceptions lie more perhaps uh, where it's... Uh, a leadership role or more strategic or maybe in, in more international markets where trade with China is concerned, the Mandarin is absolutely a prerequisite. And Mark, outside of the language requirement, what other skills do employees want these days? Has anything changed over the last few years? Um, I think technology has become so intertwined with every mm. aspect of business. And you know, every organization these days in some way is also a technology company, uh, aside from the core of what they do. So I think technical ability, the ability to use various new technologies, whether that be even as simple as social media from a relationship management standpoint, right through to actually being able to write code and so on. Well, I think technological language yep. um, okay. and user ability as well as spoken language is probably the next biggest thing. Mark, during your early days in Hong Kong and mainland China, could you have imagined the events of the past few years that have shaped the way the job market is today? Was it foreseeable? How did that strike you? Uh, look, I've been in and around Hong Kong pretty much all my life. I think um, pre-1997, it was kind of hard to know much, really, certainly as a, a young student, as I was then, about what the future might look like. But uh, look, having been back here for 15 years and working on both sides of the border, a good decade spent helping to build our business in mainland China, I would say... Yes, economically speaking, commercially speaking, I think the direction of travel has been more local than global and more China-centric than international in terms of the way I've seen Hong Kong developing and needing to be part of the bigger China strategy. You're listening to Asia Centric from Bloomberg Intelligence. By the way, if you like what you hear, and we hope you do, Please rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you may be listening to us. Of course, more stars are better. Your feedback matters, and we love hearing from our listeners. And speaking of young people, we wanted to get the perspective of somebody in that age bracket. Peter Lau, Associate Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. You were born in mainland China. You grew up in Shenzhen. You came to Hong Kong during your High school years, you spent college here. You gave up your your hukou, your mainland residency, That's to right. come to Hong Kong mm -hmm. as a permanent resident. Those are big decisions for right. somebody, especially early in life. Talk about how that came about. Well, I think uh, it's uh, not necessarily my decision. It's probably my parents' decision. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. <laughs> There's a rationale behind. I think 
they definitely uh, look at Hong Kong's access to the international education or even markets, right? Um, for example, like if you're a kid in China, you're gonna go through a lot of exams, Gaokao, and you're probably only gonna land one of the top schools in, in China. But whereas if you do go through the Hong Kong education system, you can actually choose China, you can choose local universities in Hong Kong, you can go to UK, Australia, US. So it opened so, up options exactly, for you. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. So I think that's also a great pitch to a lot of the talents coming to Hong Kong because they can see that, oh, I can plan for my kids. Or I can also plan for my job and stuff like that. So I think that's what makes Hong Kong an interesting place to them. Are so many 20-somethings, 30-somethings, even 40-somethings, are they running from something or are they running to something when they make that decision? Well, I think um, these mainland talents, they're running to Hong Kong. I believe that, first of all, they thought about their edge. Across a lot of markets, London, New York, Hong Kong, Singapore, Hong Kong and Singapore are the only places that these mainland talents can actually leverage their language skills, right? right. We okay. talked about Fair enough. Mandarin, right? You got to know the language in order to do due diligence or you know do agri research, whatever, in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong has that soil to unleash their potentials because we have so many businesses with China. And I think that's where they think, right? They see, oh, this is a place that I can actually build up a career. I can leverage my skills and the tax is very favorable and the work environment here is also great compared to China. We know about this kind of involution thing in China, in, China, in Chinese culture, sure. right? And Peter, do you see a lot of people in your situation staying in Hong Kong or do they use Hong Kong as a stepping stone to maybe go to New York, London, Singapore? That's a very good question. It depends. I think for finance, for banking, Hong Kong essentially gives them a great platform. I don't think a lot of them will love to, you know, jump around because here you can get a lot of business done, right? You go to China, you can get a lot of deals done. But for technology, I would say that's a different situation because as we talked about, Hong Kong doesn't have that many tech companies headquartered here. And I would say the evolution of technology here is a bit slow compared to other markets or other countries. So I think... Still, for tech talent, they're going to hesitate and they're probably going to think about where they go. And mostly like Silicon Valley Silicon or Singapore Valley. Exactly. or maybe even back to Shenzhen. Back to Shenzhen, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, because those areas have the group, have the circle, have the soil, I would say. So, you know, meet and greet with people and to, to develop products together. Mark, you're a senior executive at the Page Group. You must get this question all the time. When university grads speak to you, they must say, like, what should I do to get ahead? What advice do you give them? I think anybody looking for a job, the first piece of advice that I would give is to network mm. without shame. Okay. Being an expat, when you move somewhere new, that the key is to um, accept every invitation and go meet as many people as possible. And then you'll find your channel, you find your lane. Um, and I think this is a big risk post-COVID yeah. is that people are a little bit averse to meeting people. Okay. They want um, Zoom meetings. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that they, they want to be able to sort of um, swipe right to do everything in their life. It's a, it's a convenience <laughs> thing, right? Okay. Sure. Um, but looking for a job yeah. is a human thing. And, you know, you can apply online. But in reality, you're going to get a job by meeting people and impressing. Okay. Yeah. So be a hardcore networker. Absolutely. In person, though, Zoom has not upended the entire career management process, has it? I don't think so. I think, though, that it's um, 
proving more complicated than I thought it would to unwind some of these habits. But I think Zoom adds convenience. If anything, it's definitely good for recruitment. It allows people to look mm. for jobs um, a little bit more aggressively. It allows them to have initial interviews without disrupting their current existing work life. But um, most people prefer to make big decisions like that, having looked someone in the eyes and established mm -hmm. trust and rapport. Our guests have been Mark Tibbetts, Managing Director with Page Group in Hong Kong, Francis Chan, and Peter Lau, both with Bloomberg Intelligence. A fascinating exchange about jobs, the future, and Hong Kong's evolving niche. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure, and your insights have given all of us a lot to think about. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, everyone. Thank you. I'm Tom Corbett in Hong Kong. And I'm John Lee. This podcast was edited by Clara Chen, and you've been listening to the Asia-Centric Podcast. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.